Is there a future where The Sopranos will one day be lost by newer generations? Perhaps in the oversaturation of streaming services and critically acclaimed TV like Tears and Rain. Welcome to Josh Hasn't Seen The Sopranos. I'm Jared Backens and I'm joined by my two millennial co-hosts Drew Madden and Josh Fink as we go through each episode to uncover if The Sopranos should still be considered the best. It's good to be in something from the ground floor. Even though some consider 2020 the golden age of TV, I get the feeling we came in too late for that. We came in at the end. The best is over. Josh hasn't seen The Sopranos. Here we go. Well, wait, hold on. What's the What's the guy's name? It's Hesh, right? Yeah. Well, it depends which guy. Yeah. No, no, no the, the the Jewish guy. All right. Is that was that your question? Yeah. Never. Mind. I thought I found something interesting. Where like I'm trying to think if they're basing him off like a character in real life, which I'm sure they are. But I wonder. I'm trying to find out who. Which would probably be easier if I just Googled that, but no, anyways. don't don't Google. Don't Google anything Sopranos, Josh. You'll get spoilers. That's probably true. Just be careful. Just be careful out there. I'm care- I'm trying to be careful. <laughs> Welcome to episode 10 of Josh Hasn't Seen the Sopranos. We're gonna be exploring the episode A Hit is a Hit. Uh, I'm Jared Backins here with Drew Madden, Josh Fink. Josh, if you're driving down, let's say Highway 5, Through the Grapevine. Would you prefer to listen to the band featured in this episode, Visiting Day, or nothing on that drive? I would definitely have to say nothing. <laughs> that band did not move the needle for me. And I was pretty sure Hesh was right when he said, a hit's a hit. You know when they got it, and they don't got it. And I couldn't agree more. <laughs> Is there any album that you would prefer, that you would hate more than this one? Is Visiting Day at the bottom or is there one that you would just be like, I can't stand that one? I'd prefer to listen to Visiting Day over that album. Ooh, that is a good question. I'm not a big music guy. You know, I, I like I like what I like, but I don't. You pretty much just have Enema of the State on repeat. Yeah, I, I have, you know, one CD in my car and it won't pull out. So I'm just stuck <laughs> listening to it. And luckily it's Enema of the State. So I'm just jamming. <laughs> Drew, how about you? Is the question, is there a CD I'd rather not listen to? Like a double negative? Double negative. I'm not a huge Fish fan. <laughs> There's, I worked with this with this lady who'd been to like, you know, like 40 Fish shows. And then we took a lady down the river who had gone to so many Fish shows that I don't think it was good for her health anymore to go to Fish shows. <laughs> and uh, or like, yeah, I'm just not a huge Grateful Dead fan. You would rather listen to Visiting Day over Grateful Dead? I don't Grateful know, Dead is like is like the sound of the grapevine as you're going over there. That I mean, that's the CD that I choose number one to put on if I'm going through if I'm driving on the five. Well, I hope you guys aren't in the car together. <laughs> <laughs> I would hate. I would prefer Visiting Day over the Steve Miller Band. I would just I especially the song Joker, Drew. Um, that one rings <laughs> a bell from back in college. But the Steve Miller Band is just so mediocre. Uh, especially compared to the older music that was getting released around that time. So this last week I've every week I'm still trying to like build our social media presence. And that's a learning experience through that. Uh, and typically my, my strategy has been all, I want to po- post thought provoking articles who someone talks about like the cultural impact of the Sopranos or the toxic masculinity or the stereotypes that are perpetrated in it. And those are the articles that, I was posting and I was asking questions um, and that was going pretty well. And then uh, the other day I decided to post a meme 
and hands down just got like the most likes I'd ever gotten on anything. And it was just like, <laughs> is that all it takes? Is like, I just, I just need to post a, a meme to get the most likes out of something. I thought of, uh, have you guys seen the Coen Brothers movie, The Ballad of Buster Scruggs? I haven't, but I, I was looking at something on Twitter or it might have, I don't know, somewhere in the depths of the internet. Mm-hmm. And it had, you know, what's your favorite Coen Brothers movie? And that is the only one I haven't seen. What were the what were the ones to choose from for that? It was all of them, you know, Fargo. Oh, okay. Yeah. What did you choose? Um, I think my top three, I didn't participate, but if I had to, my top three would be um, Fargo, uh, No Country for Old Men, mm-hmm. um, and then Wild Card, Hail Caesar. I just really enjoyed that movie. I thought oh, it, nice. I thought it was really entertaining. Wow. That one... Uh... That one has like kind of an underground following because it, it didn't like get great reviews, but it is just like super enjoyable. I love the classic Hollywood stuff like the, oh. Studio guy. Like the, yeah, 1950s Hollywood. It just seems like magical where probably in reality it was not, but just looking back on it, I think it's pretty cool. <laughs> they put, Yeah. And each, how each like, they did like a musical number for each set they went through. That was really cool. Uh, but it, in reality, it was probably not a nice a nice time at all. <laughs> um, but it, it, it is really fun. So my top three, Fargo, No Country for Old Men, The Big Lebowski, mm-hmm. um, those three. But The Ballad of Buster Scruggs is actually, that one's underrated too. People won't, people are more confused by that one. So the premise is it's six different stories that are unrelated. So it's like six short movies throughout it and they're all Western themed. And I think the Coen brothers really have a knack for like just fitting a setting into a movie like Fargo. You're like, wow, this is, <laughs> this is Minnesota. And for, I know it's the movie's Fargo, but it takes place in Minnesota for most of it. No country for old men. You're like, Oh, this is West Texas. Um, and the same for the ballad of, but or the ballad of Buster Scruggs was very much. So I thought just like a Western movie, this, there's a segment in it where one of the, one of the characters is takes a young man from town to town in the West. And this man recites Shakespeare for people and uh, all these uh, classic works of literature. And he's losing a lot of interest for them too. And a big turning point in that story is he realizes a chicken that I forget, like plays tic-tac-toe or something is getting like all the fame over this guy who's like quoting like all this classic literature. And I thought the exact same thing where it's just like, do I just need to post memes? And that's how you get the most (laughs) followers on social media. It seems like memes memes are pretty hot right now. Yeah. So in this episode this week, the episode really takes a it takes a different course from the past several episodes of The Sopranos. So we're going we're going forward in this series or the season storyline of this Tony and Junior tension that's building up. And this one kind of deviates from that. And I the first time I, I watched this episode, I was kind of I was kind of bummed because it wasn't what I was expecting in an episode. But each time I'm returning to this one, it's more and more exciting to me. I think it's one of the funniest episodes. I think The Sopranos has proven at this point that it has this canvas that it can pretty much talk about almost any theme right now. Like this episode goes over race relations between the African-Americans and the Italian crime families and what that dynamic is like in with black artists and, you know, their white managers and things like that. And it's just, I don't know, it's it's very impressive to me just in these first 10 episodes, all the themes that have been, that have been touched on. Um, like I'm thinking of depression as one generational differences. Can you guys think of anything else that's been covered? Definitely cultural differences. Uh, come, come to mind thinking of 
you know, it, it, the Italians always thinking that people are kind of appropriating their culture, especially when mm-hmm. it came to, came to coffee um, and, and like the mob scene yeah. being played up through pop culture as well. Absolutely. Meaning of life they cover. I was remembering back in, I think, like episode three, when Tony is reflecting on his best friend who is dying of cancer. Um, parenting they cover. Are there any others? Can you guys think of big ones? I mean, Jeff, definitely like gender differences, oppression. Oh, yeah. Like gender oppression and in this one, like race oppression. Yeah, like exploitation of like black musicians. No, I think that's good. And I, I think that's why I like this episode more and more each time I see the series is because it has the it has the canvas to deviate and tell a story of something that is completely unexpected. And and I don't know, though. I mean, do you think like these heavy handed themes are good for a TV show, especially if you're trying to bring viewers in? Drew, do you think that or do you think TV is more should be more of a safe space? People want to something light when they're coming home. Well, I like these kind of dramas and stuff Mm -hmm. over i don't know what's what's like a lighter show like friends or something (laughs) well that but even even a lot of like um network dramas i don't think cover these themes to the extent um like i don't know house or gray's anatomy or something which are very serious shows but they i don't think they explore this depth of theme and and ask these thought-provoking questions quite to that level yeah, I haven't watched either of those shows. I watched I watched the OC in high school. That's a good example then. <laughs> I don't know, Josh, what do you think? Do you think these themes are too heavy-handed or do you think it it is good for a series to explore this type of thing? I think it is good for the series to explore this type of thing. I think it adds depth and intrigue to the show. Mm-hmm. I'd also be curious to see how we would have thought about a lot of these themes uh, if we had been watching it at the time it came out. You know, how many, how many of things would we have not just not noticed because mm-hmm. it hadn't been brought up in mainstream? That That's a fair question because there is, I think, more dialogue about that sort of thing. But I do think that dialogue has always existed and, and at times been very prominent. And it, it probably ebbs and flows, too. I mean, there's I, I've read like some uh, reviews and things of these episodes right when they came out and they were pretty much there in a lot of ways talking about a lot of the things we're talking about now is this is this exploitation of black artists existed. They're talking about the dynamic between Jewish mafias and Italian mafias and things like that. Um, so I think that's a, a, a fair point. I mean, when it came out, I was nine, so I probably wouldn't have gotten <laughs> any of it, but I think that's a fair thing to think about. But my opinion is that has existed for some time and they, the writers knew exactly what they were doing when they were painting this. What do you guys have for the core of this chapter of The Sopranos? Let's start with you, Drew. I had <laughs> Sopranos 2020. <laughs> but I don't know if that's like... Uh, Explain. <laughs> I was, I mean, it's just talking about, yeah, the exploitation of black people. And uh, it really goes into like race relations with Italians mm-hmm. and... Uh, you know, and then even like Italians feeling oppressed, black people feeling more oppressed, you know, it just like kind of keeps going. Yeah. Like down this, down this unfortunate chain. So 2020 for the year or for 2020 vision? 2020 for the year. Okay. Gotcha. Oh, I like that. Josh, what is your core? 
I kind of did a core of more of probably a subtle theme. Uh, just kind of, I didn't know how to articulate something for the general episode. But one thing that really stuck to me, I guess my core would be the je- or the king becomes the jester. Mm. Um, so for like Tony kind of being used, as he says in the end of the episode, just for his stories and status, um, which I guess is kind of the general theme of the whole episode with, you know, black artists being used by the producers um, and things like that. But I kind of like that. Just King becomes the jester. Yeah, that's good. That storyline kind of kicked me in the gut, especially at the end. And um, yeah, just Tony being the one that's, that's bullied at the end there. Uh, Mine's really short. I wrote hurtful labels and I think it's based on the thing you mentioned, Drew, obviously this dynamic between the, the Italians, the Jews and the black artists. And then also with with Tony and their uh, straight society friends who are like the most stuck up people in the world too. But it's everyone was just kind of labeling each other. And Tony talked about that in therapy a lot. Josh, what do you think about big picture of this episode, especially coming off off the last one? It was definitely a lot more mellow. I thought it was a lot, a lot more lighthearted. It was fun to watch. Um, some cringeworthy moments. I, I still just hate the way Christopher acts. Like it's so cringeworthy <laughs> in the burger joints like dude what are you doing and then when he's interacting with his girlfriend it's like ah like i really don't like him i really don't like you don't like anything about chris yeah no i just he could go away and I, i'd be okay. i don't find him he's stressful he's a stressful character yeah he's <laughs> it's a liability out there um did you like adriana i did i thought she she played a good part um uh, but i think I don't know. I, obviously, I think they get back together if they're ever truly broken up. That'd be my foreshadowing. Um, <laughs> we'll see. I'm also really, really curious to see what plays out between uh, Hesh and the uh, gangster guy. Yeah, uh, they the gangster guy makes it sound like he's being very, you know, up with the times, going to court, suing him. But I feel like there's going to be some physical retribution as well. I don't know, maybe breaks his legs or something. But this episode also got me thinking, it's focusing a lot on uh, black exploitation, black artists being exploited. Mm-hmm. Um, I've heard people say like, you would rather own your rights to a song that sold 20,000 albums versus a song that sold 20 million albums. Like you'd make more money just because the producers and everything like takes so much off the top. Like, you're just a number to them. They're the king makers. Um, but yeah, it just seems like being an artist, everyone pictures them having all this money and all this stuff, but that's so the very few. There's a great Chris Rock stand-up, I think, where he's talking about the difference of being rich and wealthy. And he's just, he's like, you know, Shaquille O'Neal, he's rich, but the lawyer who signs his checks, that guy's wealthy. And I thought that was, that like really, that really stuck with me where it's like, like you said, Josh, it's like, yeah, okay, let's give this black artist a million dollars or whatever, but we own those rights. Like yeah. we're going to keep making money off this, this person. And they don't realize it. Right. Cause they've never seen money like this. And that's just, I thought that that stand up bit is always, always stuck with me. Or even if you grew up like any of us, like in a privileged, you know, seeing a certain amount of money when you don't know, like what's out there. Oh yeah. So like here's a million dollars and you're like, sure. Yep. Like, deal. Okay, we own the rights to Josh <laughs> hasn't seen the Sopranos podcast and the royalties on that are are huge. Did you were you coming into this one? Because it, I think, like you said, Josh, it is a good 
almost standalone episode, right? Like we haven't, we didn't really get into all the tension that was building up from here. Were you kind of disappointed coming off the last episode and going into this one or were you not phased by that? I wasn't really disappointed. Uh, I was more so confused at first or after I watched it, I was like, why is it titled a hit is a hit? Because in my mind, I'm thinking, oh, it's going to be somebody getting (laughs) whacked. whacked. (laughs) But then I I realized, oh, duh, it's clearly about the music industry. So I thought that was a little clever. Uh, I don't know when a writer names the episode, if it's before or after even it airs or not airs, but even after it is filmed. But I thought that was pretty clever. I agree. And Sopranos does this a lot and we'll be going through it just it subverts your expectations on what you think is going to happen or if and we'll, we'll get back to Junior and Tony. Don't worry. This the end of season one is, is amazing. But a lot of times there is a buildup in this tension in the Sopranos and you think this one thing is going to happen and it completely goes somewhere else. And you're kind of I don't know if let down is the right word, but you're you're confused and you're shocked. and You're like, well, that's that's kind of confusing. But I think that subverting your expectations lasts with you so much longer. Uh, so four four storylines. Can you name what they are? Uh, definitely one would be Christopher um, and Adriana and and the trying to bring the uh, the band to life. Yep. Yeah. It starts by they kill the Colombian drug dealer. Chris gets all the money and he's able to uh, start funding Adriana. So that's definitely one. Carmela explores the stock market. <laughs> yeah so that's that's like the d story on it where it's just a few beats on that what about tony meets new friends and takes them golfing that's that's not the same as the stock market one right yeah so that's i consider that one the c one and then the other big one that we've been talking about hesh and the uh gangster guy yeah what's his what's his name massive genius <laughs> they call him massive <laughs> so yeah so that that one and then the Chris and Adriana, those are the A and B, which are usually contending in each episode as the most important stories. And then there's the C and the D. And by important, I just mean in terms of time that's spent on them. Like you can have a really significant story in the C or the D storyline still. So in the episode, we start in the apartment building. Big Pussy, Polly, and Chris are dressed up in, what is it, like refrigerator delivery men's suits or something? I thought it was like a lot of work to just like be in the building to to get this guy, but I guess they're they're doing their due diligence. But anyway, Colombian drug dealer gets home. They get him into the house and they kill him. A, a pitfall was Paulie's explaining to this guy, even though he's knowing he's going to shoot him, why he's he's killing him. I thought like I, I don't like when they do it. It's just like you're doing that for the audience, explaining why you guys are killing him. But either way, the three of these guys they get a huge score. There's a bunch of cash there. Going to the Soprano house, we introduce the story of Tony and Dr. Cusimano, who we've heard about him before, but we haven't met Cusimano yet. He's the one who initially recommended Dr. Melfi to Tony. So Tony's giving him a box of Cuban cigars because he appreciates the recommendation from Cusimano. It ends with Cusimano invites Tony to come play golf at the club with them sometime. It should be said, Cusimano is completely straight edge. He's like very dorky, I think, trying to go hand to hand with Tony. He's like dropping F-bombs. Like He's like, these motherfuckers must have been pretty hard to get with the Cuban cigars. Just like, all right, easy, Cusimano. Easy, man. In a hotel room, Tony, Polly, and Christopher are celebrating the winnings from the big score they got from the Colombian drug dealer. Tony mentions, which is kind of important, he's, he mentions that they invest in IPO or 
in stocks to some extent, Tony doesn't really know what he's talking about. Uh, Chris has no idea about that, but Tony's at least thinking, he's like, we should have this money work for us. But I think pretty a likable thing Chris does here is he leaves this this party or whatever to go hang out with Adriana as you know Tony and Polly hang out with their gumas. So here's the the burger joint scene where Chris and Adriana have spent this night together at dinner. They or dinner and a play. They went to go see Rent and they're getting food after. Massive genius, this rapper who they they might recognize him. He's there with his group of friends and everything. Chris is extremely racist and rude to them. However, someone recognizes him as, oh, he's in Tony Soprano's crew. So one of the rapper, uh, who's a notable rapper, one of his guys asked Chris to go join them at a party back at the, the rapper's mansion. So not knowing if there's any other, any other motives behind it, Chris and Adriana go to the party. They admire the house and uh, it's pretty hot. Like right away, we can see that we can see kind of the pride in Chris over like oh, Italian culture. He goes, like, I think Adriana says the house is really nice or something. And he goes, oh, it's Italian contractors, obviously. And then <laughs> uh, and then the rapper, uh, Massive, he, he talks about the Godfather movies. And there's this interesting dynamic of these groups of gangsters, right? Like the African-Americans and the Italian-Americans kind of both trying to one-up each other on who's more legitimate at this point. And, but it's interesting from the outside looking in, it's like, you guys are so similar in so many ways but just can't see eye to eye in a lot of these things so massive reveals why he wanted chris and adriana to come to this party he knows chris is in tony soprano's crew and they run with hesh who's the jewish associate massive explains that he calls it a quasi cousin of his little jimmy willis who was a popular african-american uh singer in the 50s and 60s was partners with hesh and hesh got a lot of the money out of the deal. And then uh, little Jimmy Willis died from like drugs or that like ruined his life. But massive wants to get money from Hesh to repay Willis's mom at Chris's apartment. Chris is disgruntled about his role with the Sopranos crew. This theme that keeps coming back. He saw the rapper's house and the rapper's house was super nice. And he's still, you know, living off scraps of food or whatever he gets from being in the Soprano crew. And, Chris and Adriana just kind of talk about how Italians used to be prominent in the music business. We should really get them back there again. And again, this dynamic of each of their tribes they're trying to protect, but to what ends, it's it's really unclear. Back at the Soprano house, Carmela mentions their some of their straight edge neighbors invited them to a barbecue. And she's like, oh, do you want to go, Tony? And Tony's face just say, says it all, which... <laughs> I sympathize with that when it's just like, oh, do you want to go do a social thing that you don't have to do? It's like, mm, <laughs> not really. But then this this story of Carmela concerned that if anything ever happens to Tony, what's going to happen to them? He says, he always says, you know, oh, you'll be taken care of. But it's unclear to her what that actually means. And, and she's a little bit worried. And, and eventually Tony agrees to go to the barbecue and even, you know, is, is pleased with himself that Dr. Cusimano invited them to go, invited him to go to his, his private golf club at a nice restaurant. Later, Adriana is talking to Christopher just about the music business and her ex-boyfriend, Richie Santini is in a band at the time was called Defiler. The band name changes to visiting day, but she thinks this is a way to get Italians back into the music business at Chris's apartment. 
they listened to the music, but I think was really smart. Wasn't like so bad where you're like covering your ears, but just bad enough where you're like, mm, that is, they're not good, but I, I can't, I don't really know why they're not good. So Adriana wants to manage music and she wants to manage these guys. Drew, did you like Defiler, the headbanging band or Visiting Day, the Matchbox 20-esque band better? <laughs> I'm all about, I'm all about that inner child work. So <laughs> Visiting Day. I was just like listening to it and I like, yeah, I guess I didn't get it that it was bad, but Emily was watching it and she's like, this is so bad. And I was like, yeah, it didn't sound great, but I don't know. (laughs) I think maybe I knew what was coming and I was probably in a similar position to you where I don't know enough about music where I'm like, this isn't good. I wouldn't put this on. But I think if you know a little bit about music, it's like, wow, these guys are freaking terrible. I mean, it's it's better than... Yeezus or 808s and Heartbreaks. Or the Steve Miller Band. <laughs> Those are two Kanye West CDs. Uh, okay, so we go to <laughs> Hesh's Ranch because Christopher has organized a sit-down because uh, he spent time with the rapper. Rapper wants to get money out of Hesh because Hesh exploited the, his old partner. The rapper Massive asks Hesh for $400,000 in reparations. Uh, Tony's there, Polly there are supporting Hesh and they, they think that that's way too much. And there, I mean, there is a more important conversation to be had here. We're, I mean, the three of us are not qualified as three white dudes really to have it, but it is about, I think how black artists get exploited, whether it's in, in sports or music or anything for sure. What did Kyrie Irving say about like starting the NBA up again? He was like, I don't know if this is the best, um, if this is like exploitation for like mm-hmm. America's entertainment to just like get, you know, the NBA players back playing instead of just like taking the coronavirus seriously. Or the social justice issues that are all top of mind for that. Yeah, I exactly. Think was part of it. Yeah. Yeah. I think more of the latter then, <laughs> but yeah, it's really, really interesting. Yeah, it is. And, and that's a situation where I love basketball and I'm excited to see it on, but it's like, I can't, have an opinion there it's like Kyrie is going to know much more than I am about a situation like that um so it's like if he thinks that that is completely fair I like give him that absolute right for sure and then Patrick Beverly had a I think it was Patrick Beverly he's like if LeBron's playing we're all playing or something (laughs) so I gotta respect the king I love it king is on a mission (laughs) it's not getting any younger (laughs) I know (laughs) At the Cusimano house, uh, so Dr. Cusimano and his wife are having a dinner with their highbrow friends. Dr. Melfi is there because she's a, a friend of the Cusimanos, but the highbrow friends are laughing at the Sopranos like, oh, we were at their house. You know, we we saw this like, ha ha ha. And Melfi actually comes to their defense and she's really the on the outside looking in and maybe she's had more perspective because she has spent some more more time with Tony. At a club, meanwhile, Adriana, Chris, and the rapper Massive Genius watch Adriana's ex-boyfriend Richie Santini perform, and he's not good. But but Massive seems to be playing along because he might be interested in Adriana here. This is a scene I think, Drew. Yeah, I just I knew it was coming. I I think when you know they're bad and you're watching it, you're like, this is this is hilarious. Wait, can we touch base on how how did uh, Adriana's the musician? He tried to barbecue with like a down power line. Was that an expression? Was, was that an expression? Or no. was he just like 
uh, super high on drugs trying to like cook a steak with like <laughs> sdg and e <laughs> there's like two great i don't think it got mentioned yet but gosh what's the quote go suck on another power line is that what you're talking about <laughs> christopher destroys him with that where it's like come on josh that is a likable christopher line. no that was yeah that was a great line but it was just like out of all the things or like this guy like hit rock bottom it was that is such a like props to the writer. They're just like, I'm going to like throw this in here. This is this is the reason. And it's like he tried to cook a trout with a downed power line, I think <laughs> is what it is. <laughs> yeah, so that's that's some backstory on this this guy, Richie Santini. At the Cusimano house, uh, Dr. Cusimano is, and his friends are hanging out. He's telling, he's talking about the movie Casino, which I don't know if you guys have seen it. I'm guessing, Drew, you fell asleep in the first hour maybe. Um, he's like talking about like a gruesome murder scene where Joe Pesci puts a guy's head into a vice. And it's like, you don't talk about that at a dinner table. Even if you, I'm like pretty into gangster movies and I know it's just like, no, I'm not, I'm not going to talk about this with you guys. I think I'll, I'll save that for a bar or something like that. There's a, actually, uh, something I was watching on the internet. So Martin Scorsese directed Casino. Martin Scorsese is really good friends with Spike Lee, who's, Another amazing director directed like Do the Right Thing and Malcolm X and things like that. But Martin Scorsese would always show Spike Lee like really overly the top or I guess scenes in his movies before he would send it to the um, the producers or whomever. And he's like, Spike, Spike, you got to come over for this and showed Spike Lee this clip in the movie where this is gruesome, but this guy's head gets squeezed into a vice and his eyes pop out and I guess it's because Spike and Martin Scorsese have like the same. They love like gruesome violence in movies. And so they were just cracking up over it. And Spike's like, they will never let you keep that in the movie. And and Martin Scorsese's like, I know. I just wanted to show you before they made me take it out. I thought that's just like a great moment of of friendship between two two legends. At the Cusimano house, Melfi goes to the bathroom and she's looking out the window at the Soprano house. Either. I don't know. What did you guys think she was feeling looking at it? Josh, what did you think? I think just more curiosity being like, what, what yeah. does he do on his own time? You know, is there anything nefarious going on out there? You know, am I really an idiot for treating this guy? Um, I don't think it was longing for him, for him or missing him. I just thought it was more yeah. general, general curiosity. I think so too. But then if there is something weird going on, she hears like the screaming, <laughs> which is like, she's like, uh, what was that? At Christopher's apartment, Chris is unsure about Richie and this guy's band because he's 30 and still lives with his parents, which, you know, for millennials, that's that's more common now. Drew, hope you didn't take offense. And then, so Chris is unsure. And then Adriana has that. She's like, Richie had third degree burns from trying to grill that trout with the down power line. At the same time, being electrocuted turned his life around, <laughs> which is just like, that is such a good writer lean in. At therapy so our first therapy session of the episode this is where we explore tony's storyline with kuzumano and how he talks about how he doesn't fit in with straight society necessarily so he even has created labels here or have been created before him and doesn't feel comfortable necessarily hanging out with kuzumano and his friends because he thinks his closer friends will all make fun of him you know all his all his gangster friends and things like that I, I was curious. I'm curious about just like these labels because I do think they're very common for everyone, even on a smaller scale. Like, oh, those 
those are the jocks at, at the school. Oh, those are the popular kids or whatever. Why do you guys think, is it a defense? Like, I don't know. What are your thoughts on labels? Why, why do people create them? I think people create labels just out of uh, laziness and not really knowing what the other person is. So mm-hmm. yeah, you see a bunch of nerds, call them a nerd and see a bunch of jocks, call them jocks. Like if you're not in that crew, it's like, wait, these nerds are actually like pretty cool. Like they uh-huh. do computer stuff or these jocks, like they're pretty nice. I think if people just interacted more, but then again, with those same labels and clicks, you know, there's uh kind of standards. And so, you know, thinking of like a classic, like nineties high school movie, like jocks and nerds, like wouldn't get along, yeah. you know, you can't hang out. It's not allowed. So in real life, I think it's a lot more, uh, at least in my experience, the barriers were much lower at my, my high school. If we stick to that, that theme, but, but even, uh, you know, growing up, you know, when you get older, certain professions and stuff kind of just stick together. And then, you know, like the stockbrokers aren't going to hang out with, I don't know, a construction worker, like that's just not the same dynamic. So then their labels are going to be created. I think just from unfamiliarity. I think it's a way of like identifying people. Like, like when you look at someone, you know, you're like, all right, boy, girl, you know, and then you like, it's, (laughs) that's why it's like, you know, for so long and now we're like, no, it's not appropriate, but it's like, oh, he's like, and it's just like your brain's way of identifying and then like understanding. And then like, you're trying to like process, you know? So I think labels is like another step down from that. It's like, how do we drop, drop this stuff? But I think it's just like basic kind of human nature for us to, to try and understand someone. And, you know, like Josh was saying, like nerd jock, (laughs) this is like this person. And then I can like understand like how to, you know, act around this person. It's a survival instinct, right? Like back Mm -hmm. when we were in the caves, like you had to quickly identify what was a threat and what was not. So somebody who's different than you, you're going to have to, label quickly and i don't think we've evolved away from that unfortunately just yet right it, it was like evolutionarily it was the best to i mean there's so many harmful stereotypes out there but it was the best to like pick something out and label it like you guys said too and we are in this challenging time right now where certain things it's been maybe 20 years only where we're like we really shouldn't label this other things maybe 50 or 100 years where we're like we really shouldn't have these labels but we're like going against thousands of years of evolution where our brains have been wired this way and then all of a sudden we're like whoa, 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 whoa. You, you can't do that and i think our inst our or our desire is right it's like yes yeah, it's not helpful to do that now but it, there is so there's a weird dynamic of going against evolution for so many years where it's like it's it's gonna take a little bit longer probably to start training our brains this way <laughs> training our brains to not double take if there's a attractive person opposite <laughs> sex. <laughs> that's the that's the last thing that's gonna go everything else will get unwired <laughs> before that <laughs> so at the neighbor's barbecue that carmel had mentioned so tony and carmela go to their neighbor's house um and these are their straight edge friends too so tony's at the grill with kuzumato and his friends <laughs> and I, this was like his friends are clearly just super dorky and there's just like a big contrast to tony Especially, I think it was the first episode when Tony's grilling with his gangster friends and whatever. It's it's just a huge contrast. They're like giggling about like stupid, like PG rated jokes about, I don't know, f- like, oh, the sausages look phallic. And then they're <laughs> condescending to Tony about the stock market. Well, I thought what was interesting about that scene is like they're portraying Tony as some like hardcore gangster criminal. 
where this guy's trying to get like insider information. Yeah. It's just as illegal as anything Tony's doing. So they're painting themselves as these highbrow white white collar yeah. individuals but it's like no you're you're still breaking the law trying to get the edge just like anybody else and then carmella at the table with uh these these women who they start talking about the stock market she's like oh you play the stocks and the most annoying white woman to ever be portrayed on the screen goes oh we don't just play we win i mean i picture these are the women that like have like the non-emergency number for the police set to their speed dial just like oh suspicious activity in the neighborhood they're not wrong though statistically speaking women are better at managing investment funds than men are because they're more they're more conservative and think about the long term where men are more wired for like (laughs) quick quick returns so like they're not wrong i wasn't critiquing the women for going after this over the men at all i hundred percent yeah it was that it it was definitely annoying to watch (laughs) it's like do you guys have the men too it's like do you have any idea like any problem in the world or anything um drew would you rather be at that table listening to these women or cleaning out the pooper on your river job (laughs) cleaning out the pooper (laughs) like if purgatory was just at this table for the rest of existence uh listening to these people or at the grill for that matter yeah, it's so disgusting. <laughs> oh, the cleaning the pooper. Yeah. But yeah. I mean, whenever you're in, I mean, I've been, I was recently in that situation where friends were talking about uh, like investments and stuff. And I'm just like, not there yet, you know? And I was just like, just dead silent for like 20 minutes, <laughs> you know, like 30 minutes. And you're just like quiet for half an hour in this conversation i'm gonna remove myself from this conversation (laughs) talking about stocks and investments is kind of like talking about your own dream like to a group of people (laughs) it's only interesting to you nobody else has an interest in like the money that you're either making or faking making up that you're making that you're probably losing it's like oh yeah you guys invested in this like apple is going through the roof it's like no i'm not and neither are you like i don't care (laughs) i mean Warren Buffett had got it was in one of the I forget what the podcast it was, but he bet someone that he could just put his money into like the S&P 500 index. Oh, yeah, Drew, I'm, I'm going to be talking about stocks for the next. No, just uh, <laughs> <laughs> just uh, uh, yeah, you can take your headphones off, Drew. Um, he put his money in the S&P 500 index for 10 years and the investment firm or whatever could do whatever they want. And he's like, no, I'll, I'll beat you guys. And the first year, I think, was like 2008 where stocks dropped a lot. I don't know if it was like 30% or 50% or something. Um, but still after 10 years, Warren Buffett won with the S&P 500 versus these other guys. That's that's what you said, Josh. It's like, all right, you guys don't really know what you're talking about anyway, unless it is insider tra- trading or whatever. <laughs> yeah, I, I never want to talk about that. At Hesh's house, he's looking at all the old photos of him with his partner, uh, little Jimmy Willis. And reflecting on it, and I, I, from this scene, I wasn't sure. I thought he was feeling bad about, maybe he was starting to believe he he had, I don't know, exploited his partner a little bit or got more than his share in this partnership. Because it does sound like this, uh, the black singer performed, wrote pretty much everything. Hesh had the, rec- or the record label. But I don't know, that's what it seemed like to me. I mean, do you guys think, do you think he was starting to feel regret about it? Josh, what do you think? I was surprised at the amount of thought that he had, he was putting into it 
Um, mm-hmm. They were clearly close. It seemed like at least through his reflection. I also don't know how vile and evil Hesh is. We haven't really delved that far into it. It seems like he kind of avoids conflict. I mean, he mm-hmm. told him to chop off a dude's dick. Well, that's true. He's okay with the hits and stuff. <laughs> like, he knows these hits are going on. Like, in the pilot, he was talking to Tony. He's like, oh, I heard Big Pussy was getting whacked in Artie Buko's West restaurant. And Tony's like, no, 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 it's Little Pussy. And that, that started that conflict. So he knows they're all going on. Um, at this point, like you said, Josh, so I don't know. We don't know how involved he is, though, with it. I thought he was going to make a counter offer or an offer. Mm-hmm. I don't know if uh, Baby Genius or whatever his name is has had a gangster genius had made a massive genius. Massive, genius. <laughs> massive baby gangster genius. <laughs> I was getting there. Oh, write that down. That's good. <laughs> I didn't know if he had had he made his offer yet. Been like, I want four hundred k. He he had already told Hesh that. Okay, yeah, I I was pretty convinced after that scene that he was going to at least counter, you know, kind of make a business deal. Right. Yeah, but maybe, yeah, he is the gangster deep down and, and didn't want to counter. I don't know. I saw him, him as looking at these, though, also, too, is like, is he just rationalizing? Like, I was good friends with this guy. How could it have been? How could I have stolen? I was a big part of this, you know, like like all the characters and all of us, right? Just rationalizing. All right, let's get into our intermezzo for the week. For this week, let's talk about the podcast we listen to. Drew, what do you listen to? Well, now that the King's season is in <laughs> have they started playing yet no i think it, i think it's i think it starts in like 10 days or something so well the playoffs do but i think there's there's scrimmages going on right now oh i don't know we had a bunch of people okay. injure their feet which is not great and then some one of our our starting center got suspended for getting takeout like outside of the bubble, just like God. <laughs> yeah, I've heard, I've heard the Kings bubble experience hasn't, hasn't gone so well. No, no, it's like and you had one rule. <laughs> the guy we picked over Luca, which I, I will, I'll try to keep this brief. But he injured his foot again, and it's just like you don't want guys that are six foot eleven to be injuring their feet repetitively. It's just not a good look. Was it playing or was it? Practicing, like playing yeah. kickball or something. <laughs> yeah, he was playing kickball. He was at Disney World. It's like Andrew Bynum who kept hurting himself bowling. And it's like, oh, dude, he did. Seven, yeah, he did it like twice, I think, when like the Lakers were making playoff runs in 2008 and I think 2008 through and 2009 he was injured, I think. God, what a waste of talent he, that guy was. Yeah, he <laughs> like I think he was out of league when he was 26 or something. Made a good uh, amount of money, though. Yeah. Anyways, I digress. The I guess the podcast I listen to the most now is Don't Keep Your Day Job. And it's like uh, creative, entrepreneurial. She just interviewed Malcolm Gladwell. That was the last, oh, last really? one. Yeah, which was pretty cool. I mean, she's like, she talks about starting a podcast and just being like, nobody's li- going to listen and re-recording the first episode like 10 times. And, and now like Malcolm Gladwell's on her show. So that's pretty cool. Pretty cool for her. You, you'd, you'd mentioned, um, what's her name? Is it Kathy Heller? Mm-hmm. What's her name? Yeah. Yeah, Kathy Heller. Um, you mentioned her in your your Heroes segment that we did a few episodes back. Our, our alternative to re-recording the first episode is we just went into the second episode. So we just <laughs> like, <laughs> just putting out whatever we have each week. It's like, all right, that's good. Um, but you're saying when King's analysis podcasts come back, that's going to take up all your time, probably. Yeah, I listen to sports podcasts. And then, um, yeah, I started, I'm trying to think, I started listening to 
black hole or dark something. <laughs> it was really sounds good. Really, sounds really <laughs> awesome. <laughs> I'm going to have to write that one down. <laughs> when I think of it, I'll, I'll give it a mention <laughs> next episode. But it was about how the, how the internet changes our, changes our perception. It was really interesting. I feel like a big thing of the internet is that I mean, we could we could spend like hours talking about what the internet <laughs> did, but it just makes people think that they're experts in stuff that they're not experts in. It's like you read just because you read that on the internet doesn't make you an economist or like a scientist or a doctor or anything. It's like, uh, I looked at WebMD, Jared. I think that's the same thing. That same mentality has been taken to podcasts. It's like, oh, I listened to a podcast on this. Like, <laughs> trust me. Yeah, it's like I listen to a podcast on investing. You guys need some stock picks? Got you. Like it's like okay, <laughs> you you got a one forty five minute show. Like <laughs> always vet who you're listening to the podcast on, especially if they're giving stock tips. <laughs> Me, it's just like I watch The Sopranos. And I'm like, dude, I could do this. <laughs> and then also the same thing with documentaries on Netflix. I hate. When people are like, oh, I just watched this documentary. Like, can you believe it? it's like, well, who produced it? Where's the bias? Right. Like, there's clearly an agenda here. <laughs> like Blackfish. That was the last documentary on Netflix I watched. I was like, oh, damn, SeaWorld's really evil. Wait, where's SeaWorld in this documentary? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean they're, they're probably doing some really bad, really bad stuff there. i sure. But there's still people protesting like SeaWorld. That I, I drive by them every now and then I'm like, at first, I was like, you guys are kind of losers. And now it's like, you guys got some staying power. Yeah. <laughs> it's been like four years. Josh, what do you listen to? I bounce around a few. My three main ones, um, Bill Burr. He does a podcast. He's a comedian. Oh, yeah. he, he does two podcasts a week, one on Monday and one on Thursday. And it's just him alone kind of rambling. And <laughs> It's really good. It's so hit or miss. A lot of times it's hit though, and he just goes on these long rants, and I find it highly entertaining. It's only an hour long, so pretty easy listening to. Uh, Joe Rogan podcast, I go back and forth, kind of depending on guests and what looks interesting. There's there's so long sometimes, like three hours. Yeah. I just can't really commit. And then my final one is a uh, he's a doctor. His name's Peter Atia. It has a podcast called The Drive, and it's about uh, optimization, basically for life. And so. He's really big into longevity and trying to live like past 100 and his habits that have been evidence-based and tested uh, mm-hmm. along with some that are just kind of his own experimentation. So I find it really interesting. He's got a, got on a lot of experts. And I mean, if you do a deep dive into like health health stuff, it's so overwhelming. It's like, wait, I should be eating this and this and this. But they kind of contradict each other. It's like, oh, I got to eat red meat, but not, right. not too much. And then I like, got to get vitamin D, but not too much. And, and I don't know if it kind of like makes my head spin. But what's like one, what's one health tip that he's ha- given you? One of the main ones has just been cut down on like, which is pretty common sense, like processed food and sugars, um, I think is pretty good. And then also just monitoring. I don't do a very good job of this, but monitoring the time of day in which you eat um, mm-hmm. mainly not eating late in the night because they're finding out more and more that your your body will overproduce insulin if you eat uh, past like eight o'clock at night because it's connected to melatonin receptors in your brain it's a lot of stuff that i don't really understand but the, the basics was uh try to limit eating you know heavy foods late at night 
but I'm going to get some ice cream after this. So there goes that. <laughs> gonna say, what, what about ice cream sandwiches? That's a, that's, that doesn't count, right? Yeah, that's that's okay. I think you can you can eat like four of those right before bed. For me, uh, one of my listen to is Script Notes, which is by two screenwriters I really like, and I listen to that each week. And that just as I work on my screenwriting craft and try to get better, that's that's always an amazing one. It's John August and Craig Mazin who are the two screenwriters of most recent fame. Craig Mazin wrote Chernobyl, which is a series that's it's really really well done. Not as good as The Sopranos. It shouldn't have beaten that in that bracket, but and then also. Uh, I listen to the rewatchables, which is a Bill Simmons hosted podcast. And they just go through, they go through movies that they love rewatching. I've, I've taken a lot of inspiration from that. And I love Bill Simmons interview style through those. And then I listen to bigger pockets, which is it's real estate focused, but it's really about, you, you take a lot of like tips about business, about improving your life, having balance. Um, like the hosts of it are trying to pretty much, gain real estate to free themselves up and create more time in their days and things like that, whether, you know, their careers or otherwise. So I, I think even if you're not interested in real estate, you can get a lot of lessons out of just like the business and managing your, your day to day out of that. What was the real estate one called again? I didn't catch it. Bigger pockets, bigger pocket. And then Drew's, if you don't remember, was the dark hole, uh, about the internet. <laughs> what did you say? I think it was gigantic, massive gangster dark hole. okay back into the episode we get a comedy sequence that's uh one of the best up to this point in the sopranos when they're at the recording studio so christopher's paying for uh this terrible band to record so adriana's there listening they have like take 62 or something they're just terrible they're gonna leave and go home a lot of great lines here. So the lead singer in the band was like, Kinko's only gave me five days off, which is really smart writer decision to choose a place like Kinko's. Like if they choose, if they chose something like the worst job you could think of, then it's like two on the nose. But I think it's like Kinko's, oh, that's, that could be a pretty decent job. Um, it could be a really good job. I mean, I imagine he's probably, he doesn't have a good job there too. But I think that was smart to find something in between. Christopher tells them, he tries to give them drugs, even though he's like the lead singer's like, I don't know, a recovering addict. Uh, he tries to give them drugs so they have enough energy to finish performing because he's paying so much money. That's where his line, I forget which of you guys said it. He's like, for all the dynamic excitement in these songs, maybe we should get another down power line in here and let you suck on it. <laughs> <laughs> Super good. And I mean, the lead singer is really pretentious and there's great lines too when he's like acting like he knows everything over the recording studio engineer and he says thank you but i've recorded in denmark and then the the band starts to fight internally and christopher just breaks a guitar over the lead singer's back which it's like almost too over the top but like right in line i think with what christopher would do and it makes it it makes it just great adriana gets pretty pissed at christopher for this and he storms off at the soprano house a quick beat in the D storyline where Carmela makes a call old school to buy uh, to make her stock purchases from the tip that she got from the barbecue. Tony is playing golf with Kuzumano and his friends f- from the barbecue. So this is the three men of straight, like a straight society at the private golf club. And the whole time they're making subtle comments about gangsters like, oh, Tony, you know, how real was the Godfather? Have you ever been to Little Italy and things like that? And Tony feels pretty uncomfortable with it he's not answering them directly he's like you know how how would i know about the godfather um 
how would I know about Al Capone's golf course in Florida? Uh, you know, I just go down there for Disney World. They're talking about, it gets on the topic about a real life mob guy, uh, Carmine Galante, who is assassinated. And there's actually a really famous picture of him because this guy always had cigars in his mouth. He has a cigar in his mouth in the picture where he's assassinated. But Cusimano is like, that was a beautiful hit. Like referring to this assassination. It's like, who says that when they say, see a picture of a dead guy? Like, come on, man, show some show some sympathy here. But then they're like, oh, that wasn't one of your friends, was it, Tony? And he makes up a story about John Gotti, who's another famous gangster from New York, uh, to kind of, I think it's to try to fit in with the group is is kind of how I took it. But clearly, Tony is on the outside of, of this group. He also calls Kuzumano Kuz, which the nerdy white guys just freaking love that. At an apartment later, Massive Genius, the rapper, Chris and Adriana are listening to the recording from the band. Uh, again, Massive is acting really into it, probably because he's into Adriana. Chris is starting to sense that they're they're horrible. Chris takes the record to Hesh's. So Hesh has had a lot of experience in the music business. And Hesh tells him it's not good. There's one constant in the music business. A hit is a hit. And this, my friend, is not a hit. Which apparently none of us can explain what a hit is in music. Josh, did you did you know right away that they were bad when you were listening to them? I didn't think they were that bad. I was like, oh, they're kind of like Nickelback. <laughs> <laughs> or, like, or like a poor man's... Uh, Pearl Jam or like Creed. I was like, it just kind of like spot on 90s. Like, okay, let's try yeah. to copy Nirvana, but I can't. So I'm going to just like. <laughs> There's no chorus. You don't have a chorus. I thought that was a great line. I was like, oh, no wonder it wasn't good. Where they're playing it and Adriana was dancing along and they had like, what was it? The cat noise? <laughs> yeah. I was like, what is this? In therapy. Tony is reminiscing about a kid he knew growing up that they all thought him and his group of friends thought was mentally disabled, but they let him hang out with them. Um, but he actually had a cleft palate. He just wouldn't talk how they were used to. So that's that's why they thought that. But they let him hang out so that they could get the laughs out of it, he explains to Melfi. And later on, he learns that this kid cried himself to sleep every night. And I I mean, I thought this was just like, I mean, this, this scene kind of kicks me into the gut a little bit where... Tony says he didn't know what the kid was going through as they were growing up until he went and played golf with these guys, which part of it's like, okay, Tony, you deserve to be ridiculed a little bit. And it's just like a golf club. You're an adult, all of that too. But there's something very poignant about being, I think, bullied or being on the outside of a an in-group or something like that, that that stuck with me from the scene. Did it remind you of either of you guys? Like I, I wasn't really in the popular group i wasn't bullied either but i i felt like i had like a sense of oh i can see this kid getting bullied a lot did it remember did it remind you of like interactions of that in high school or middle school or elementary school or anything especially on sports teams there's you could i could always tell like there's one kid who was kind of annoying but like a lot of you know like the leader of the popular kid would like keep him around because he was valuable for something like kind of like mm -hmm. what tony was saying like oh that guy they kept around for laughs right and, and didn't really care about him but i was always like whenever i would like hang out with them you know like the popular kids and they're like going over this kid's house because like he had all like the good snacks or whatever <laughs> or had like the playstation with like the best games you know like what, whatever was such like, a good, that, that's so real that is a real <laughs> dynamic you're yeah. like who's got the good snacks <laughs> you know you know, i always felt like uh i knew what was going on and i wasn't like okay with it 
in my head. I didn't say anything. I just went along with it. Um, mm-hmm. Shows how big of a guy I was. But um, it's hard when you're younger. It is hard. Yeah. And so it's like, oh, okay. Like this is what this guy's doing to use people. Now make sure he doesn't do it to me. And so, um, you know, I, I just don't like that dynamic. And I can kind of understand where Tony was coming from. 100%. I was, I don't know why, but this popped out like in the recesses of my brain of this, uh, this interaction in elementary school, there's this kid that always got bullied by another kid who I, I mean, they, they're both grown up now. And I, I think I've seen him on social media and the, the bully turned out, he's a real, he's a real piece of shit. He had like rich parents and was like stuck up. So that was kind of a happy ending there. But in elementary school, he like give this kid a really hard time. And I just felt so bad for the other kid. And at lunch, he was like antagonizing this kid and the bullies like in this popular group and they're getting all these laughs and things like that. And the kid that was getting bullied had this go-gurt. You guys remember go-gurt? Yogurt on the go, baby. Yeah. <laughs> they're really good if you froze them. But anyway, this one was not frozen. Eating one right now. <laughs> it's fine. That it's past eight o'clock, right? <laughs> You're good. <laughs> and the, the kid who had the go-gurt like kind of half-heartedly like swung it, not intensely, but just like, moving their arm like stop you know don't do that but like so for some fluke in the packaging or something it burst open <laughs> on this on the bully which i was like yes that is exactly what i wanted to happen but then the bully told on the kid and he's covered in gogurt and it's like oh this kid just smacked this gogurt on me and the and the kid that was getting bullied got in trouble and got taken off the the bench and had to like go sit and time out or whatever and that just stuck with me. I just like felt so horrible for this kid. And there's like a few instances growing up and it's like, it is so hard to be witnessing something like that. And as a kid, be able to speak up about it. And it's, you know, I think something I, th- I think about now, it's just like, geez, I wonder, I wonder what that kid was going through each day. Yeah, definitely. Like middle school and high school can be a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> that sums it up. That's good. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, it's it's interesting here, like Tony is pretty much, which goes with the theme of this episode really is like he's admitting how hurtful these labels are or whatever. And then like the next scene we go to, he's all of a sudden he's on the side of, you know, his Italian gangster friends going against the the African-American gangster. But just interesting how quick that can that can flip depending on what your what your intentions or, or goals are. So. At the rapper Massive Genius's mansion, he gets a call from Hesh. Hesh tells him that he's not going to give him the money um, because Massive used a, a recording piece that Hesh owned in one of Massive's songs. So Hesh would be able to counter sue him. Um, Massive's kind of speechless here. And they get off the phone, and the Italian gangsters, I guess Silvio, Polly, and Tony are talking. They're talking about, you know, we're the real gangsters, which is like, I don't know if they're. Times are changing. We don't know what's happening now. If it's a masculinity issue, but I just thought I just thought that dynamic was interesting. Just just more just upset that things aren't like they used to be. And I think I mean people who hold on to things like that too long usually get caught on the the wrong side of history at at some point, in my opinion. At Christopher's apartment, uh, something's bothering Chris. He tells Aunt Adriana, "You know how I use the technique of positive visualization." <laughs> She goes, I know, I know you talk about it, but you're fairly negative a lot of the time. <laughs> I was like, I don't know if he described it very well. Like he tells her about it, but then tells her to use it to like 
soften the blow of bad news like that's not how it works <laughs> it's like I neg- think about that <laughs> it's like negative visualization like all right visualize <laughs> this record not going well so you'll be okay with it positive negative visualization <laughs> yeah. I, th- I thought his advice was okay, but you're right. It's not the right name for it. But it's, yeah, it's not positive visualization <laughs> if you're like, assume you're not going to succeed <laughs> and live with it. Um, so he tells her that the band might not be good. She gets really upset with him and, you know, might attribute it to be, you know, he's angry, he's jealous or whatever that she's spending time with her ex-boyfriend. And I think Adriana's character is really good here because she's really the one that's, wrong about the band here but i think she's she's still likable and relatable and maybe it's because she is aspiring to do something anyway she leaves she doesn't want to spend any time with with chris anymore at the soprano household uh quick carmela sees in the paper her stocks are doing well which is a very 90s thing to do check the paper for that when it like the headline whatever the headline was i was like is that good or bad i didn't know what it meant i'm used to just like you know logging into my portfolio and seeing all right, I went up a dollar today. I went down a dollar. What did the headline say again? It was like the stock split. Split three one. Yeah, or maybe because it was an was an IPO, and that's a good thing if they have to split it that many times. Is that what it is? I don't know. I thought usually <laughs> when a stock. My only experience with it, and it's not personal, just learning about it. Is like when a stock splits, it's like oh, there's a hundred shares. Now there's two hundred shares. So everyone has the same value dollar wise but you have more share so they it's diluted they do that with popular like stocks that are selling well though right so that's yeah to make it more affordable for like right entry or younger or not a uh, big investors yeah but i had to google that i was like what does this mean <laughs> like is it good or bad um uh, anyway very 90s and then tony is comes in with a package he's put sand in a box carmel's like what are you doing with that he's like oh it's a box for kuzumano i'm gonna have him hold on to it for me and his his brando godfather accent um, or voice so he goes over to kuzumano's house he has this box of sand that looks very um very ominous he's like oh kuz kuz can you hold on to this for me kuzumano asks him not to call him kuz because it has a negative connotation and then tony's like oh no no, no not anymore anyway kuz i need you to hold on to this for me <laughs> <laughs> I, I thought that that was just like a very likable Tony moment getting Kuz, this guy who bullied him to scare him in the way that Tony knew how. So thinking that it could be a gun, it could be drugs or whatever. He asked Kuzumano to hold on to it, but it's really just sand. And then Tony goes downstairs to work out and he starts uh, screaming as he works out, which is a bit farcical in my opinion, like yelling so loud that neighbors could hear when you're working out. But that explains what Melfi heard earlier. At the Bada Bing office, Chris listens to music sadly, thinking about Adriana. And Hesh comes in and says, now that's a hit with the music <laughs> he's listening to. Which is a great likable Hesh moment as well. Last scene at the Kuzumano house, uh, Dr. Kuzumano and his wife are worriedly looking at the box, which we know is a box of sand. And they're like, no, don't touch it. What could it be? And I thought that was just a great, great ending to this this episode was there anything in the ep- else in the episode you guys wanted to cover i really liked massive's character yeah he's pretty well thought out who's who do you think he's most i was trying to think about this like uh what like rapper do you think he's most similar to at that time who was coming up 
could you guys think of it? I was thinking like maybe Dr. Dre. I was going to say the same, but I feel like that's a, I don't know. I mean, I guess he wasn't coming up. He was rich. I mean, it's not like Ice Cube or like 50 Cent or. He, he had some great lines when they were on the phone with Hess talking about, you know, because he went to college and was educated and stuff. He's like, you know, whether the pen is mightier than the sword, he lets the situation decide, which I thought was pretty, pretty cool line. So pitfalls for the episode. Um, I had a few of them. Let me know if I'm wrong on these. But first, when Polly kills the Colombian drug dealer at the beginning, he explains to the drug dealer why they're killing him. You know, stay away <laughs> from stay away from the ports. And the drug dealer's like, all right, I'll I'll do that. He's like, no, we already told you that. And it's like, well, why'd you tell him that again if you're just going to shoot him? Um, which I thought was a, just a, a writer like telling us to like satisfy us a little bit. Right before this, I was watching the newest Star Wars. Again? Spoilers. No, I haven't seen I've been watching it while I do physical therapy. So I'm watching it in like 20 minute intervals. <laughs> <laughs> But there's this one part where like the Sith Lord is like, oh, the power of two Jedis combined together. And you're just like, what? <laughs> like, oh, okay, <laughs> I guess this makes sense. Now that you're just like when fantasy gets like so farcical or just like, it's just like, and the power of this and the stone and then you're just like totally putting it together as it's like, you know some stupid Avenger shit. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> I, that, that stuff like, like I, I like fantasy when it's like mixed in with some realistic qualities. I think that's what made early game of Thrones so good. And then spoilers, but it's just like, anytime a character gets brought back to life, it's like, well, that's cheating. Yeah. Totally. yeah you can't do that. <laughs> the Lord of light never really got on board with that. I can't get behind any fan. I, I know exactly what you're saying, Drew, when it's just like compounded philosophies. It all contradict each other. It's like the writers didn't think that much about it, but some nerds are going to look into this really closely and you guys are going to get called <laughs> out for this. JJ um, Abrams, like he's a very talented technical director, but he like really screwed up those later Star Wars. Like they were like, he, he pulled a lost on episode uh, episode seven by like creating just like all this mystery and things that weren't tied up, like, Oh, these people might be related, this and that. And then um, it seems like that those either got hard to solve or they weren't solved throughout the seven, eight, nine. What were we talking about? Uh, pitfalls of the episode. Pitfalls. This, I don't know if this is a pitfall, but yeah, I don't think it, it I, I didn't really like that. Adriana had a, a bad taste in music because it's like, we want her character to be likable. And that's like the one thing, she doesn't see uh so i was thinking about that but i don't know if that's quite a pitfall i would have liked it better she was probably more she had the better taste in it and it was christopher who didn't know what was going on i think that would have been more realistic i like the line where, where they're like he's like with how much radio you listen to <laughs> <laughs> good thing the internet wasn't out because then it's everyone's an expert like we can create a podcast or whatever and then I, I mentioned this, Tony's screams from the basement are a bit farcical for the Sopranos. I didn't understand that. Plus, like, he, he went right into it. No warm up. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, he's going to be a candidate for shoulder surgery if he's not careful. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I don't know if Tony's a stretcher, but yeah. <laughs> I'm just like, yeah, I didn't understand why he was screaming. Like, I guess to get out his aggression, but. 
Or unless he was still fucking with coups where he's like, oh, I'm going to make it sound like I'm killing somebody in my basement. But but he like, wasn't when, when Milfi was That's yeah, true. at the dinner yeah. party. It's like a show. It's like a cartoon or something where they just like zoom out on a building and you can hear the screams still happening. And they like zoom out farther and it's like planet Earth and you can hear the screams still. And it's like <laughs> no one yells that loud. <laughs> uh and this isn't quite a pitfall, but Kuzumano is a doctor you just wouldn't want to get. Like, is like so full of himself, um, swearing unnecessarily, like talking about casino at the dinner table. It's like, dude, relax. That was that was a beautiful hit. Talking about like a picture of a dead guy. It's like, come on, man, you're a doctor for God's sakes. Did you guys have any pitfalls? Meow. <laughs> <laughs> you think they should have taken that out? Or that would that should have stayed. Yeah, I enjoyed it. <laughs> I didn't did so when they're on the golf course talking about John Gotti and that ice cream truck, was there like a yeah. dual, dual meaning there? So how I understood so John Gotti's was a real gangster. Right. But I took it as Tony was just trying to make up a story, but I don't know. I'd be curious what the internet has to say about it. But I thought Tony was just trying to think of a story on the spot. Okay, yeah, because I was like really confused because the other guys were like super captivated by it. And then I was like, I am not, I don't get this. Let me look it up. Don't, you don't look it up, Josh. There's spoilers everywhere. I'm not looking <laughs> it up. Um, yeah. People are just saying it was like a big F you. Like he goes on this kind of long story because these guys are busting his balls and it really just has no point. Oh, as part okay. of it. That's actually um, pretty funny. It's, it's kind of out of fun's not the right word, but very interesting to get down like a Wikipedia rabbit hole of, these like real life new york gangsters because like from things we see in film and tv it's just it's even more violent it seems like people are planning unsanctioned hits on each other on bosses like taking over crime families and things like that it's just like oh man this is crazy like john Gotti like planned an unsanctioned hit on the boss of like a the biggest new york crime family and took over that family it's just it's just kind of crazy so in the awards section of this episode, so one death, it was the Colombian drug dealer at the beginning. So we'll we'll tally that up for the end of the series. And I there were a ton of best comedy moments. I think this was one of the funniest episodes of The Sopranos so far. Drew, what was your best comedy scene or sequence? I liked when Chris is getting upset in the recording studio. He's <laughs> just like telling him to do blow and then like hits him with a guitar and tells him to suck on a telephone pole. And the, and Richie's like, I recorded in Denmark. Yeah. <laughs> the Kinko's comment. Yeah. That, that was, that was comedy gold. Um, gosh, that's tough. I think I'm going to say the part where uh, Adriana tells Chris, Richie had third degree burns from trying to grill that trout with the down power line. At the same time, being electrocuted turned his life around. Josh, how about you? I liked the uh, at the end where Tony gives Kuz the box of sand. Mm. I was like, I thought that was pretty clever. And then I also like the recurring theme of pretty much anybody in the crew. Their deep analysis of like some classic thing um, that they either watch or, or listen to. Like they go see Rent. <laughs> And he's like, what? It's such a big deal. They lost their heat. Like, who cares? <laughs> it's like, pretty sure you didn't watch the whole thing. <laughs> That's a great, great point where there's so many. It's pretty much just like 
culture deciphered by gangsters and it's yeah. like what they got out of it and it's there's so many so many moments of that with like the movies or or plays or anything they go see that's really great best drama was more straightforward for me drew do you want to go first i kind of like the part where tony was talking about the kid with the cleft palate i think yeah. it's something that we can all relate to yeah that was i mean that's mine too josh how about you i was, I was kind of liking the inner uh zeroing in on hash and his contemplation of what to do and and then the following conversation with uh master g you know i I thought that was pretty entertaining it wasn't super dramatic but kind of brought some shed some more light onto hash's character are you getting the rapper name wrong on purpose at this point no (laughs) massive massive ah (laughs) close i'm close yeah i guess he should have thought of a different name if it's so hard to remember Drew, I didn't ask you this at the beginning. I mean, the previous episode was building a lot of intensity between uh, Uncle Junior and Tony. Do you feel that this it's bad when like an episode just gets off track of that for a bit? Or what were your thoughts? Or were you not thinking about it as much as I was? Yeah, I was kind of thinking you said something in the early episodes of the podcast where you're like gangster something of the week. Oh, uh, mob case of the week. Yeah, it it kind of felt like mob case of the week, but then when you when it brings in like a new theme, I think it I think it works. But yeah, I, th- I feel like 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 Breaking Bad doesn't do that quite as much. It's more of a steady like this is a week episode by episode case, whereas mm-hmm. the Breaking Bad more like ebbs and flows in intensity, and um, so it doesn't bother me, but. Yeah, it's kind of funny how, and also since we're watching it like week by week, I think I forget where normally I would be like a little bit more wanting to see, you know, what's going on in the last storyline because I I forgot about it, about the junior Tony tension, you know, until you just mentioned it. But, (laughs) but I was thinking like, oh yeah, mob case of the week, like, all right, we got, we got a rapper. (laughs) Right. It's, it's, it's like kind of its standalone thing. And I'm actually rewatching Breaking Bad as well. And it's totally rewatchable series, but it, it, not on the level of the Sopranos because it's much easier to digest. You can like sit down and be drawn into whatever that intensity is of the week. And Breaking Bad does that better than anyone, I think, really like hooks you in with that. But there isn't as much substance there. And when you are thinking about larger themes and, you know, the dynamic between black gangsters and Italian gangsters or the meaning of life and, or depression, or I mean, parenting and all of this, that's not in a show like breaking bad. And that's, and that's why I was, I I guess I wasn't framing it well at the beginning, but I was like, do people want this, what the Sopranos is, is giving them and this like wide canvas of themes, or do they just want something they can come in and just plug in and not have to think about it like a breaking bad or something like that. Um, I mean, for me, I love The Sopranos. Like, I could keep rewatching The Sopranos. Breaking Bad, I couldn't. What do you think, Josh, on that? I, I, I kind of like the uh, the tempo that The Sopranos has been using so far. It's, it's It kind of goes, like, intense and then a little bit of relief. Um, kind of like what you're saying with Breaking Bad, where it's just, like, they do a really good job hooking you in. There's some comedic characters and, and uh, comedic spots here and there. But no episode... I don't think I would ever qualify one episode as like lighthearted in Breaking Bad. <laughs> and, and definitely, you know, even though there's like a, 
a murder in, in this episode. It, overall, it's pretty lighthearted and totally. There's some darker themes, but it just makes the whole season more enjoyable when you bundle it all together. It's like, okay, now maybe next week, like, let's dig deeper into, you know, Junior Soprano and Tony. Let's get back to that. You know, I'm sure we're coming up on the season finale here in a couple episodes, but. You know, I feel like we got some time to tie some more things in together. How would you guys rate this episode so far in the episodes? Generally, is it is it closer to the top, in the middle, toward the bottom? I mean, they've all for me, they've all been really good. I'd say in the middle, but because they're so good, I don't know. It was really entertaining. It was really funny. How about you, Josh? Yeah, I put in the upper upper third. Uh, really? Okay. Yeah, maybe, maybe like the bot, bo- bottom tier of the upper third, but. And I, I just really enjoyed it. Um, I thought it was, I'm getting to know the characters more and more. And it was just enjoyable. I had a good time watching it. I think that, and that, uh, that's great. I love that. Love to hear it. A lot of time with Chris for Josh to enjoy. <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah, that's saying something. I, I know he doesn't get whacked anytime soon. Actually, I don't know that, but I'm just assuming so. But I wouldn't mind it. You know nothing, <laughs> Josh. You know nothing. At least I hope so. Stay away from the internet. So that's our show. Thanks everyone for listening. If you want to join us in our fight against recency bias, it really helps if you leave us a review. We're just trying to build our listener base. So, so we really do appreciate it. Um, if you have any ideas or questions, or if you want to ha- have us go over anything else, you can reach out to us on jaredbackins.com. Um, that's where the podcast is, as well as some screenplays I've written. You can also subscribe on there and we'll send you a message when a new episode comes out. You can also reach out to us on Twitter. Uh, Josh hasn't seen The Sopranos. You can find Drew here at Drew Draws on Instagram and Rivers to See Stickers.com. All right. And so, last, Josh, I really do love the last three episodes of this season. Um, I think it's, I don't want to hype it too much, but it's one of the best ends of seasons out there. I'll consider it a failure if you watch any three of those on your phone. I just want to leave you with that. <laughs> did you did you watch this one on your phone? I did. I think I'm going to download download some to my iPod Mini and uh, just watch. <laughs> you don't understand that I I lose sleep over this type of thing. Like I know it's it's not your fault, but I I'll, I'll be up thinking about that. Well, it's just be, it's just because I've been really busy, and so I've I've had I haven't had an opportunity to last watch the last two, um, just sitting down and enjoying them, and so like today i watched like half of it before work and then the other half on my lunch on my lunch break so i knew you it was something like that at work i was like he watched it during lunch at work i freaking knew it yeah i'm blue collar in it bringing my lunch pail to work this is why we're we're doing this podcast is for millennials like you josh who like if you if you live next to what's the museum in france the louvre louvre if you live next <laughs> to that you would, you would go see <laughs> it's a silent r (laughs) if you lived next to that you would you would go see it and i think with the sopranos it's like that is a work of art you should watch it on tv i don't know if i would go to the louvre i've heard the lines are really long (laughs) (laughs) all right awesome guys we'll see you guys next time really excited for the last three episodes of the season here let's get it done bye drew adios